Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 136 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I am joined by a fellow animal science podcaster and certified cool bug appreciator to talk about the spectacular and delectably devious cuckoo wasps and what makes these glittering jewels of the insect world such perfectly crafted little menaces terrorizing a wasp nest near you. This episode is an exhilarating expose of espionage, exploitation, and exoskeletons. Just the Zoo of Us presents Cuckoo Wasps with Katie Golden. everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. This week we have, this is a new friend to y'all, but this is not a new friend to me. This is Katie Golden. Say hi, Katie. Hello. I am so happy. You know, you may not be a new friend to a lot of people listening because I have heard from quite a few people that they have come to me through you. That's right. Because we have met in the past virtually. I was over on your podcast, Creature Feature. Katie, can you let our friends listening know a little bit about Creature Feature and what it is? Yeah, it's an evolutionary biology podcast where I talk about all the creatures and the weirdest things that they do, the strangest animal behaviors out there, and then find out it's not really that strange, and it's pretty relatable, actually, when you think about it. I think we're going to have no shortage of, from the human perspective, strange things to talk about with our animal today. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Before we talk about our insect friends, let's talk about Katie a little bit. Can you let our friends at home know, like, what got you into this, like, science podcasting world? What has your journey been like to get you here? It's been a really circuitous journey, I would say. (laughs) In college, I used to study psychology and evolutionary biology. Uh, I really was interested in the behaviors of humans and animals. Of course, we are also an animal, so often those behaviors will intersect. And then after that, I sort of roamed the world as a lone nomad. No, actually, I I had like a desk job, and then I got interested in comedy. And then when I got interested in podcasting, I decided to share with people my favorite thing, which is animals being weird. There is definitely an overlap there between animals doing weird animal stuff and comedy. I feel like you could make a whole like Netflix stand-up special on just like weird stuff animals do. You really could. I've often said that I think the soap operas and things like Game of Thrones and Succession, (laughs) when you look at the actual things that happen in nature, the behaviors, the competition, the backstabbing, the subterfuge, like it is so incredible and extreme. It's something Hard to even come up with when you're writing something like a TV series, even something that's really shocking. Nature will come in with a twist that you've (laughs) never seen coming. Nature is messy. (laughs) (laughs) You're not kidding. There is a lot to talk about there, especially with the animal that we're talking about here today. We're talking about cuckoo wasps, which are um, a type of parasitoid. Am I saying that right? Parasitoid wasp. So a lot of people have asked about parasitoid wasps because back a few months ago, we did an episode on tarantula hawks, which are kind of in the same vein a little bit, doing some pretty diabolical stuff in the wasp world. Um, But cuckoo wasps are at kind of a little bit of a different angle. So I'm excited to talk about them today. Do you have any sort of like history with wasps? Like, what has your relationship with wasps looked like? Uh, Actually, pretty neutral. I've never been stung by a wasp. I've only once been stung by a bee, and that was totally my bad. It was on my head, (laughs) 
And I thought, just I thought like a flower petal fell on my head and I went up to reach and I, I grabbed a bee and it did sting oh, me, no. but I felt more bad for the bee than for myself because, yeah, I didn't know. And and it was worried that a giant hand was attacking it. I didn't mean it. I apologized to the bee uh, before it died, of course, because when they sting, you know, it, it often rips off that <laughs> lower part of their abdomen and, mm-hmm. and that is not good for the bee. That was an honorable death, though. It was. It went to be Valhalla. <laughs> went down swinging. Yeah, I made a tiny bee pyre and burned it and did some bee chants. Push it off to Pushed sea. Pushed it off in like a little leaf off to sea, yeah. <laughs> in a puddle. <laughs> Godspeed, little bee. In our hearts. Gone but in never forgotten. So bees are a little bit different from wasps, right? That's right. Yeah, they are. They look superficially kind of similar, right? They're both these little flying insects. They both have stripes sometimes, and they both sometimes make that buzzing sound. They also sometimes sting, but they are very different. And wasps are actually often enemies of bees because they will attack and kill and eat bees. And so, yeah, they, they are quite different. And I mean, it's, it's, they are similar. So they can both be social or solitary, just as bees can. When, when we think of bees, we typically think of honeybees, which are eusocial, meaning they are in this structured colony where they all are at the behest of this queen and they all work towards the good of the colony. But there are bee species that are solitary bees, such as the carpenter bee. We have carpenter bees here where I live, and they are delightful. They're Adorable. so round and chunky, and they have like a shiny butt. They're so cute. <laughs> they are darling, aren't they? I think bees are much cuter than wasps, I would say, in general. And wasps, they also can be social. Even something as insidious as the giant Asian hornet or giant Asian wasp, it is this really huge wasp that will attack bee colonies and just go through ransacking them. But they are they are social, so the, the wasp will actually have their own social group. You know, so I don't have too much hate for wasps. I know that they are kind of scary sometimes they can definitely sting you sometimes they can sting you more than once unlike a bee and so they've got this pretty nasty reputation but i think they are really interesting animals and my favorites maybe are the most dastardly of them all and those are the parasitoid wasps and there's a lot going on with them. Thankfully, these are the ones that, like, could we talked about with the tarantula hawk. For a human, they're not that big a deal. But if you happen to be the type of animal that they are specialized in terrorizing, yeah. this is the stuff of nightmares. It truly is. Those are the ones that will paralyze you if you are, say, like a cockroach or a tarantula and drag you back to their lair where you will remain in their larder, still typically alive, but unable to move as their larvae eat you, sometimes sparing your most vital organs first so you'll last longer. It's quite horrifying. Very vampire movie. Yes. Very, like, zombie. Makes me think of a Saw uh, movie, the, the level of deviousness of it, like you're trapped, you can't move, and unless you somehow escape, you're going to get eaten alive by a baby or a, a baby wasp, <laughs> that is. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty messed up. Thankfully, being humans, we do not have to worry about wasps doing this to us. No. But a lot of people still really have a lot of hard feelings towards wasps anyway, which probably has resulted from them being stung by wasps. Because like you said, you know, wasps are, they're kind of the tactical assault bee, right? They're like the, <laughs> they're like the combat bee that's made a little bit more uh, for self-defense. Down here in Florida, we've got 
paper wasp nests everywhere, right? And they're Oof, yeah, they're pretty defensive, you Very know, like, territorial. Yeah, don't like you being in their space. Will kind of you know fly around you to kind of get you to leave them alone, but they do get a lot of heat. Uh, that bees usually people are able to take more of the oh, but they're a pollinator, so they're good yeah. for our plants, and we get honey from them. And wasps usually do not enjoy that same PR bump. Yeah, I mean wasps aren't fluffy. They aren't they aren't fuzzy and kind of bumbly like bees are. When you zoom into a wasp it does look a little bit like a tiny robot Mm, designed to search and destroy but i think that when we start talking about the wasps that we are discovering today they i think are actually a little more charismatic than a lot of wasps are and they at least in my opinion despite how devious they are they're kind of cute and very pretty I can definitely see it. Like when you got to really zoom in, (laughs) you know, like if you see them from a distance, right? And they're just buzzing around that part of your brain activates. That's like dangerous. Don't like that thing. Got to stay away from it. But if you really zoom in and see them on kind of like, like look up macro photos of wasps. And I feel like that helps understand them a little bit better. I think that if you zoom in on them, they look pretty. You're right. They do look like robots. Like, You'd see them in some sort of sci-fi movie where they're like alien robots that are like built to, you know, be little combat fighters or something. But I wonder if that's like a chicken and egg sort of situation. Like did like sci-fi creators design those to be based on wasps because that's what we think of them? And so now that just like reinforces the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's those big sort of shiny eyes and the the sleek bodies there's a sort of efficiency to mm. their body structure that feels engineered it does i feel that way with like most insects <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to see them as being organic, especially ones that have these very specific colorations. Like there's the Picasso bug that looks like it was computer generated from a video game <laughs> and just someone painted a face on it. it. It's it doesn't make any it's like a prank that nature has pulled <laughs> on us. These bugs. I think that the bug department is really where Mother Nature got super creative. Yeah. Was like, all right, let's run some experimental designs. Like, let's get silly with some of these. (laughs) I know that evolution doesn't work this way, but it does feel a bit like with humans. It's like, okay, legs, face, eyeballs, check some hair, I guess, so you don't get cold. Oh, but with the bug, we're going to have this big like phalange just coming out of its head and then these are going to be little spirals and then wings two wings why not it's like just hitting random on every single slider of like yeah. your character creator where you just <laughs> you're like at the skyrim character creator screen and you just randomize every single feature and that's yeah. what nature has done to bugs that's yes yes Okay, so if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, our whole deal is that we review animals by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. So first up is effectiveness. This is physical adaptations. So kind of like tools that are built into the animal's body in some way that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. So this is a wasp. So it is trying to catch prey. It is trying to stay alive. It is trying to not get eaten by other larger things. It, it's got a lot on its plate. So what do you give the cuckoo wasp out of 10 for effectiveness? I mean, it's so hard not to give the cuckoo wasp just tins everywhere, but I'm trying to be <laughs> I'm trying to be a tough judge even though I love them. So I, I would give it a a nine out of ten. It's very good. For effectiveness, yeah. So cuckoo wasps, like you mentioned earlier, are parasitoids. So before we leap in, I want to give a quick explanation why they're called parasitoid rather than just a parasite. It's because a parasitoid is not really a true parasite in that it actually will end up killing its host. So it lives in close proximity, feeding off resources or feeding off its host until the host dies. Uh, This can also be called a kleptoparasite. And that is exactly what these cuckoo wasps are. And they are named cuckoo wasps 
after the cuckoo bird, which is a species of bird that is a brood parasite that lays its eggs in the nests of other species and those will hatch and often kick out the other baby birds and steal resources from their hosts. So the cuckoo wasp does something very, very similar. And they are designed down to the precise detail to accomplish this task. So these parasitoids will actually target the nests of other wasps. Now, what's interesting about these cuckoo wasps is they aren't, in terms of being afraid of wasps for their stinging ability, you don't really have to fear these too much. They don't really sting that much, uh, if at all. I can attest to that. <laughs> I was I was going to say earlier um, that I have some minor experience with the cuckoo wasp. And my minor experience is that I was walking into work one day years ago. This was probably like 2016. And I thought I saw on the ground somebody's earring that they had dropped. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll just pick it up and bring it inside. It's probably give it to a her. beautiful iridescent blue or green or purple. An emerald. Like it looked like a jewel, right? Yes. And so I was like, oh, there's a jewel earring on the ground. Lovely. And I pick it up to find that it is not at all an earring. <laughs> it is a wasp. It is a cuckoo wasp that is br- just the most brilliant, beautiful, bright blue and green. And I was just like transfixed by it. And also, I would like to say, I did not know it was a wasp. (laughs) I was just saying, I thought it was like a cool, like, beetle or something. I was like, what is this? I thought it was just so beautiful. I I must have been either dead or very close to it, because it didn't, you know, fly away out of my hand or anything like that. Did it roll up into a ball, though? You know, slightly, but not really. Um, Mm. It really didn't do much. So I think it was either dead or almost dead. But so I took like a thousand pictures and I, of course, put them on Instagram with every filter I could get my hands on. (laughs) Right. Because like, that's the aesthetic right there. That's like unparalleled. And then it wasn't until years later that I was like, huh, I wonder what that was. I took the picture down off my Instagram, ran it through iNaturalist and found out that it was a cuckoo wasp. That's a wonderful find. There's actually over 3,000 species and they're cosmopolitan, meaning they live basically all over the world where the weather permits. So yeah, it is definitely a possibility to find one of these cuckoo wasps wherever you live, uh, as long as you're not living in too cold a climate. The reason I asked whether it was rolled up into a ball is actually this is part of their design. So uh, they, they are very, very well engineered. They have this thickened, quote unquote, skin. It's called an integument. It's just like basically that that exoskeleton that what serves as a skin for the wasp. And it's th- mm. really thick to survive the stings of the hosts it's targeting because since it's trying to lay its eggs inside of the nests of other wasps, there's a good chance it's going to get attacked by these other wasps. And the wasps they target often are pretty well armed, whereas these cuckoo wasps are not. And it is not in their best interest to kill uh, the host for reasons we will discuss soon. Uh, So (laughs) instead, they actually roll into a ball and tuck their legs in like a three-banded armadillo. Mm. So they actually can make an almost perfect little ball because they have a groove in the thorax where it can fit its legs and the abdomen is concave with plates on it so it can bend around and it has like these, it looks like it was designed, like a toy that was designed to fold up. Oh yeah, like a puzzle sphere or something like that where you gotta like fold everything in and figure out how to get it open again. Yeah, it's like a transformer and it it has ball form and wasp form and those are its two forms. Like a Bakugan. It's exactly like, it's just a Bakugan. <laughs> I'm going to assume that this is a Pokemon. <laughs> I, I can see why you would 
infer that based on our history together, but Bakugan is, Bakugan is actually like not even anything I'm familiar with. I only know about it because my seven-year-old demanded a set of Bakugan toys for Christmas, mm. and I purchased said Bakugan toys for Christmas, and they have not been touched since then. Because it turns out the whole game is actually quite complicated to learn how to play, <laughs> but but it does involve these little toys that roll up into a ball, and you're supposed to like roll them, and then when they pass over like a magnet, then it unfolds the monster mm. out of this ball. I'm googling them, and they look very fun. I don't know if fun is the right word. <laughs> I probably wouldn't play the game. I would probably just play with the actual toy. That has certainly become their role in our house's uh, toy ecosystem. But yeah, no, that is a very good sort of <laughs> representation of these because, yeah, they, they have the grooves that just perfectly fit their little legs inside so they can roll up in this perfect protected ball. And that's great for defending themselves when these wasps that they are trying to infiltrate spot them and try to sting them. So it actually has something that looks like a mean looking stinger, but it's really not. It is actually an ovipositor. It is basically a tube that it lays eggs through. So it's a it's an egg shoot that these insects can use. <laughs> it's a reverse boba straw. <laughs> <laughs> That's a delightful and grotesque way to describe it. Um <laughs> So they are modified stingers. So the ovipositor is kind of sharp, so it can cut through the surface of a nest. Typically, these cuckoo wasps will target things like mud dub wasps or sand wasps. So yeah, having a sort of sharp, like, do you know those straws, the metal straws that have sort of an edge on them and you can kind of... They're a little bit sharp, so you can jab it through like a plastic topped drink. It's exactly like that. Yeah. So, and then they lay their eggs in these nests, but that ovipositor is not going to be used to sting you, a human, or it's, it's not really a weapon. It's, you know, to make babies. Sure. Yeah. And like you mentioned, like this is something that in other wasps, they were like, you know what? I think we'll actually just turn this into a knife. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So are they putting their eggs into the nest? What is the goal there (laughs) with depositing their egg into the nest of these other wasps? Yes. So the goal is to basically have their eggs in there. And so when their eggs hatch, They'll be there right next to the host, the victim wasp's own larva, and the host wasp, through a variety of means, will not actually realize that there is an invader in the nest. And so what these invasive cuckoo larvae do is eat the food that the host wasp is providing. So these host wasps will often kill something like a bee or another insect and bring it to their nest for their offspring to eat while they're these little grubs, these little larvae. And so what the cuckoo larva does is it eats this food in the larder that was intended for the host wasp's offspring. And to add insult to injury, sometimes the cuckoo larva will just end up eating the host wasp's larva as well. So it either starves the original larva to death or it eats it. Which it seems like eating it would be a mercy to me. I was thinking, I was like, at that point, you're kind of wishing it would, you know? Like, if you're not going to be fed, you're just going to yeah. starve to death slowly. So at that Waste point, not, it's, want like, not. Not? It, it's, it's just there. Don't turn down a free meal. Yeah. And so the cuckoo wasp is not only basically stealing a free nest for its egg, but also parental care from this host species that has no idea it is feeding the offspring of this parasitoid. So being able to deftly lay her eggs in a nest without being detected is a really good skill to be able to trick these poor wasps and There's another element to this that I'm not sure whether it fits under ingenuity or effectiveness. Those lines are often blurred. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But it is the way that these larvae will chemically mimic their host. So they will use a 
chemical very similar to chemicals produced by their hosts to mimic their odor so that when the host species is doing some kind of chemo detection, basically smelling the den, it will not detect any difference between these larvae because it has now basically stolen the smell of the other larva by producing mm. a chemical mimic. That's very sophisticated. Because uh, yes. that you know, takes an understanding of like, okay, what is the chemical that they're producing? And how can I also recreate it for myself? Like there are so many steps to to that, that is a lot more than I think a person might think a wasp would be capable of doing. Right. And it's something that happens over many, many, many years of evolution. So you must have happened to have one of these wasps produce a chemical scent that kind of was similar-ish and then that gave it a better mm -hmm. chance and then you multiply that by like a million right and then you're getting somewhere then you're cooking with spices <laughs> and this is an interesting thing to see happen with like insects because of how like quick the turnaround is between the generations right so like yes the generations are so close together you can see these like incredible feats of evolution happening over periods of time that like larger animals with longer lifespan they wouldn't be able to adapt that quickly but you can see that happen in like insects where they might be able to cram you know a hundred generations <laughs> into you know not that many years so they can like really get things done pretty quick. And you know, I was I was thinking, because you were talking about the mimicking the offspring of the host, that reminds me of things that their namesake, the cuckoo bird, will do to to mimic the chicks of the hosts that they have invaded the nests of, where the different species of birds that have been parasite I suppose, by the cuckoo bird, they've started developing these sort of like checks in their mm -hmm. <laughs> babies to check to make sure it's one of theirs. So they'll have like these black spots on the insides of the beaks of the chicks. So mm -hmm. that when the chicks all open their mouths for food, the mom will look around and be like, you've got black spots. So you're one of mine. You've got black spots. So you're one of mine. And if they see one that doesn't have the black spots, they don't feed that one because they're like, you're an imposter. And then like over time, you see like the cuckoo birds start to develop the same marking yeah so it's like just yep. this like arms race you know it reminds me of maybe like it reminds me a little bit of like death note like if you've ever seen the show death note where uh it's basically like a serial killer and a detective that are hunting each other mm -hmm. down while the serial killer is pretending to work alongside the detective mm -hmm. so like they're constantly trying to outmaneuver each other and being like yeah. well he thinks i'm gonna do this so i'm gonna do this instead you know like oh man parasite host relationships are very much like anime plots uh <laughs> I, I believe the, the sort of backstabbing and double twists and yeah, I mean, that is really interesting. There's also the way that cuckoos will disguise their eggs to match the host species and the host species coming up with things like password protected eggs where <laughs> they will basically start singing to their eggs while they're developing so that these offspring will learn this sort of specific pattern of beeps that hopefully by the time that the cuckoo egg is laid in the nest, which often happens a little later, the cuckoo will not learn this this password. Mm. And so, yeah, it's just the levels that they have to go to to outmaneuver <laughs> each other creates just the funniest, funkiest bird <laughs> spycraft. They've got two-factor authentication on their nests. <laughs> <laughs> Every time when the eggs hatch, they're like, okay, now go see the code that I texted your phone. <laughs> Before I feed you the scrub. <laughs> Before I feed you, please enter the six-digit code I emailed to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know of anything like this happening in the wasp world where like the, the wasp victims are becoming wise to the cuckoo wasp? I mean, I think that 
the defense is usually things like attacking the actual cuckoo wasp. And that's why the cuckoo wasp has had to create such a rigorous defense in terms of being able to roll up into this perfect sealed ball to avoid being attacked. And I, I think also one of the reasons this works is that there's often plenty of eggs and offspring that the host wasp has laid that do survive. And so you have this delicate balance of the parasite not making too much of a dent in the host's population because mm. otherwise you you don't want to run out of hosts essentially and you don't want to spur too big of a change in their behavior otherwise like we talked about with the cuckoo the hosts will have a, a counter to that stealth is everything mm -hmm. they can't know it's a scam <laughs> they have to be growing up in these nests with like a false mustache on with like novelty glasses <laughs> with the nose and mustache on them. Mm -hmm. Like, it's totally me, you guys. Don't worry about it. What are you doing? We're wasps. We don't have mustaches. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> it's a new uh, feature and this is the future of evolution. Why do I trust you so much? <laughs> <laughs> They're just getting a nat 20 on charisma every day. Something about those Groucho Marx glasses and mustache just makes me want to trust you. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of other shows on the MaxFun Network. When we get back, we are going to talk ingenuity and aesthetics for cuckoo wasps, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say bazinga anymore. So after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother and Me? Maximum Fun is a network by and for cool, popular people. But did you know it also has an offering designed to appeal to nerds? A show for nerds? On Maximum Fun? The devil, you say? It's true. It's called The Greatest Generation, and they review episodes of a television program for nerds called Star Trek. They've reviewed TNG, DS9, and are now reviewing Voyager. Hey, Star Trek. My daughter enjoys that program. Well, if she enjoys that, and she enjoys humor of the flatulent variety, might I recommend she subscribe to The Greatest Generation? Hey, are you calling my kid a nerd? Why, I oughta... Well, gotta go. Become a friend of DeSoto by subscribing to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org today. The next category that we rate our animals on is ingenuity. So behavioral adaptations that the animal is like actively doing with their body to compete with others, solve problems that they face, just ways that they're giving themselves an advantage. What do you give the cuckoo wasp out of 10 for ingenuity? I gave it an eight out of 10. And mm. the only reason I deducted points is there are other parasites that are even more devious. They have even more complicated plans. And so compared to some other parasites like these cuckoo wasps are relatively straightforward. Lay their young in the nest of the target, have their young feed on the target's resources. It's pretty simple. Whereas you have other parasites that have these ridiculously convoluted life cycles where they have to brainwash the host species. Now, actually, I have an example of one that is very similar to the cuckoo wasp, but actually a different family of wasps that is really devious. So for the cuckoo wasp, the reason I, I did give it a lot of points is, you know, in addition to that chemical mimicry that it does, it also will do things like when it is trying to infiltrate, say, a mud nest and the mud is kind of hard, 
it will use a little bit of saliva to weaken the wall of the nest. And so they can stick their ovipositor in without too much resistance. So they're actually using this really intelligent way of basically weakening the fortress before they attack and insert their ovipositor, which I think is really interesting, relatively complicated behavior for such a simple little insect. Right, because you have to like understand their engineering and then know like, okay, well, if I use my saliva, then that like, I know what the substance is. I know how to change its state. And I know that I can do that by my own means by producing my own saliva. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it is something that is most likely an instinct that this parasitoid has. And it's just kind of fascinating how over sort of this large time scale of the selective pressure and sort of happen chance that you will have this relatively complicated behavior emerge where the cuckoo wasp itself may not really understand what it's doing other than it's just like, well, time to lay my eggs, better spit here first. <laughs> I'll tell you what I was kind of thinking about for the cuckoo wasp when I was thinking of like, wow, this is such an interesting thing that it's doing how the wasp has chosen to target other wasps, despite the fact that, you know, other wasps are quite defensive, they can be very territorial, they fight back, they have a pretty impressive arsenal with which they can fight back. And then I was kind of thinking, I was like, I would maybe consider that a point against ingenuity for choosing a very, mm -hmm. very dangerous target. Like, mm -hmm. there's other bugs, you guys. <laughs> there's other less mean bugs. <laughs> like, pick your battles, you know? Yeah, and it, it's, I think that really points to there is not a lot of foreplanning with evolution. <laughs> it's just basically... You probably have these wasps both inhabiting a similar environment. They have similar needs. Their diets are very similar. So as this parasitoid is evolving, it is most likely to find the kinds of resources that it wants in fellow wasp species. So mm. then it just kind of tries to do this over many generations. And then just these selective pressures start to force it into this path, this evolutionary path that if you could plan ahead of time, may not make <laughs> the most sense. But because you're not really planning, you're just having generation after generation of offspring then it just kind of goes in a certain direction. And then it, basically what I'm saying is hindsight is twenty twenty when it comes to <laughs> evolution. You think wasps ever look back and be like, man, we should have done this different. <laughs> we should have been fluffier so people would love us. <laughs> They're looking back like we really got ourselves in a pickle here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we shouldn't have done this. <laughs> Okay, so clearly they're going for work smarter, not harder in terms of raising their young in the sense that they're like, I'm just going to have somebody else do it for me. Here you go. Here's my babies. You take care of them now. They're your problem. But do you know how cuckoo wasps are with other adult cuckoo wasps? Like, are mm -hmm. they cool with each other? Do they have beef? Like, what is the, <laughs> what is the cuckoo wasp social scene looking like? I think it's relatively chill, but they are not, they're not very social. So they just kind of mind their own beesness, which I know is not a pun that works for wasps, but just let me have it. Listen, we got to work in one per episode. So like yeah. you take them where you can get them. Yeah, you take your medicine, your pun medicine. <laughs> you know, once they have emerged from the nest that they took over, they just look like an adult cuckoo wasp. So mm. they don't mimic their host species as adults. And so the jig is up. <laughs> the jig is up, which is helpful for them, I would imagine, when finding a mate. So they probably proceed as normal as basically finding someone to mate with, sort of a one night stand kind of situation. Mm. I do not, I could be wrong, but I don't know of any cuckoo wasps where they have any real strong interactions with each other other outside of finding a mate ships passing in the night <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fling yeah uh, since you did mention that they are quite conspicuous that is a good 
I think, stepping stone into the aesthetics category, mm-hmm. which I feel is sort of a slam dunk for the Cuckoo Wasp, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth. What do you give the Cuckoo Wasp out of 10 for aesthetics? Yeah, I'll give it a 9 out of 10. And I'll, I'll tell you why I've deducted one point. Because they are absolutely gorgeous. They're that cuticle, that integument comes in this shiny, iridescent blue, green, orange, red, purple. Sometimes it's all at once because it's this chromatic effect where you look at it at a certain angle and it's a certain color. Sometimes different parts of their body is sort of a slightly different iridescent hue. And when you zoom in on these, they're still gorgeous, if not even more so. They look like one of these fancy car paint jobs, like one of these chromatic paint jobs for, <laughs> you know, it's very like cyberpunk 2020, 2070, 2077. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get what you mean. Yeah, it is. <laughs> And then they also have these dimples on their hardened exterior that makes it look very much like jewelry, like this kind of like sparkly, beautiful, bejeweled, encrusted thing. And I think something that's so interesting about these is the question of why they're so gorgeous and why different species can be this slightly different pattern of iridescence. Some are mostly blue. Some have like sort of a patch of more of an orangey red brilliance. Some of them are sort of solidly chromatic with a green tone. Uh, It's kind of a mystery. Researchers know how they make this beautiful color display and that is through the refraction of light between the layers of their cuticle so that hardened skin that makes up their exoskeleton light will basically bounce around in between the layers of this cuticle and refract and cause this beautiful chromatic spectacle it's it's incredible Mm. but why they do that researchers don't really know it could just be a byproduct of the structure of this hardened cuticle they had to create maybe more layers of this cuticle because they have to protect themselves from the stings of their victims that they are trying to parasitize And so maybe the fact that they're so beautiful is just pure, like an evolutionary spandrel, which is basically something that happens in evolution, not because that particular thing is important, but it's just a byproduct of more important evolutionary steps. That's interesting. I'd never heard that word before, spandrel. Yeah, it actually comes from an architectural term where basically when you have an arch in a square, in the two upper corners of the square, you will have these sort of triangular corners and they serve no real structural purpose. They're called spandrels, Mm. but they just are a byproduct of how it works when you have an arch in a doorway. So architects and builders would build these really elaborate spandrels that were decorative. And so people would try to figure out, well, what are, what's the purpose <laughs> of these? What, and it turns out there's no real purpose. They're just sort of a byproduct of how you have to build this uh, design. So yeah, it's like negative space. Yes, exactly. The negative space of nature. But whether it's, but it's not really known. Maybe there is a purpose. Like after all, you could have an evolutionary spandrel that actually turns out to have a purpose later or as it is evolving because it has an added benefit, it keeps going in that direction. So I'm not really sure, uh, nor to my knowledge, uh, I don't, I haven't been able to find any research as of like 2020 uh, that seems to indicate that we have discovered some use for this iridescence. I mean, like, I wonder if it's just coincidence that that is just something that the human eye finds pleasing, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I can't think of any reason why the human brain would see that and be like, mm, yes, mm, burr, that's very <laughs> good. Like, like <laughs> very happy about this. This looks very nice. But it is in a lot of other animals, once they start to face, you know, conservation issues, 
those sort of, oh, it just happens to be something that looks very nice to humans can <laughs> end up being a pretty valuable asset <laughs> when humans decide, oh, I think I'm going to actually care very much about this animal and want to protect it because it looks very pretty to me. So I think that sort of like aesthetic charismatic factor, even though it may be something that has been utterly useless to the animal for millions of years, now that humans are on the scene, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, if the humans like how you look, you maybe have an upper hand here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that we see that kind of evolution maybe in domesticated animals like cats and dogs where they start to get real cute because we're <laughs> selecting for the ones that are cute that tug at our heartstrings. With this wasp, uh, these typically these insects are so old, they were probably evolving long before we were even a glint in like an ancient primate's eye. <laughs> so, but I, I do like the idea that, well, like, quote unquote, in terms of I find it interesting, the idea that maybe humans are going to start selecting for more aesthetically pleasing mm -hmm. animals that we choose to save. And so this would be a very, very superficial, but interesting form of, I suppose, unnatural selection where humans are trying to preserve the most charismatic, beautiful species. Uh, I can't say that's necessarily a good thing because uh, I do love a lot of species that are not beautiful and in fact quite quite horrendously ugly looking but are very interesting as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times I know that like the efforts that are usually branded as like save this charismatic species that's usually just kind of the face of it and it's that's really just like the branding that they're yes. using to kind of drum up like popular support for it but it's really a more comprehensive thing than that right so like campaigns for like save the pandas aren't usually just the pandas yeah it's like save the whole bamboo forest that the pandas live in and then you know the rising tide lifts all ships so yeah. <laughs> I, I find a lot of value in like using charismatic animals to the advantage of conservation as a whole. I mean, insects are not usually the faces of things like that. Um, <laughs> but I think if you really work the whole like, these are living jewels angle, you know, like we should say also, there are other insects that have this really beautiful metallic like iridescent yes. rainbowy coloration um so just because you see something that kind of looks like a shiny blue wasp that doesn't mean that it's a cuckoo wasp there's all sorts of things it could be i know there's like metallic blue bees too right yes like, yeah absolutely all sorts of critters that can have this kind of like coloration it's just it's a marvel when you do see it it's such a treat and it's going to be hard, like these cuckoo wasps, and the reason I actually deducted one point is they do have what looks like a stinger, and it looks like maybe kind of a nasty stinger, but it's really not. It's actually just the ovipositor. But yeah, just by looking at them, it's hard to actually assess whether this is going to be something that's going to sting you, because there are stinging wasps who are also beautiful colors. So, you know, I, I'm not, not necessarily telling everyone to go out and grab a shiny insect and cuddle it. <laughs> I would go the route of if you see a critter out in the world and it's not your cat or dog, I would say probably leave it alone in general. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't cuddle. Just admire. No. For, cuddle with your eyes. Just uh, what is it? scream inside your heart yes. and cuddle with your brain. Cuddle with your eyes and brain, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I personally would never in a million years trust my insect ID skills enough to be yeah. able to confidently say, oh, yeah, that one's not going to sting me. I can pick it up. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, me neither. And I think this was proved to myself when I very confidently picked up what I thought was like a, a, a little leaf bug or something, but it was actually a type of, I think, kissing uh, beetle and <gasps> no. those can those can give you a real nasty sting i did not get stung but no it was a little bit of a reality of check of like hmm, i it was indoors so it wasn't mm -hmm. so much that i was just like oh i can just pick this up and put it outside and then i took a look at it and i was like hmm that is not like a baby a uh, baby no. stick bug. That is not a baby praying mantis. That is mm, <laughs> something I shouldn't be touching. So yeah, leave bugs alone. <laughs> leave them alone. <laughs>
especially if you're a wasp that it's potentially uh one of the things on the menu for this i guess is it a traitor to other wasps i guess so i mean it does occasionally target other species to uh, be a parasitoid, uh, such as I, I think it does sometimes target like stick insects. So it's not just wasps. It just happens to often target wasps. I'm still going to call it a wasp trader because I imagine <laughs> that's probably how other wasps feel about it. You know, they probably yeah. see it and they're like, how dare you? Yeah. Real Benedict Arnold's of the wasp. No world. solidarity, no loyalty right. whatsoever. <laughs> It has been a delight to learn about cuckoo wasps from you today. Every time I learn more about wasps, no matter what type of wasp it is, I gain some new sense of appreciation for them. And it's really a deep respect for the hustle, you know, yeah. like just the relentless grind of these things um, <laughs> that I have a lot of love for. So thank you for sharing that love and knowledge with us today. Before we sign off, let our friends know where they can find you and your work. If there's anything else that you're working on right now that you want folks to know about, where can people listen to Creature Feature? All that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you like this show, you might just like my show because we also talk about animals and it is like Ellen has kindly mentioned, it is called Creature Feature. Uh, and you can find that pretty much everywhere, I believe. Look under your bed. It might be there. But <laughs> on basically every podcast platform, you can find it. In fact, I had Ellen on as a guest. We talked about how Pokemon can sometimes have a real-life counterpart in the wild. So check that one out. It's a great starting point. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I am on Twitter at Katie Golden, K-A-T-I-E-G-O-L-D-I-N. And for the adult listeners, I write for a show called Some More News. And it is a comedy news show on YouTube. And by comedy, I mean, sometimes I despair at the news and you just have to try to make a joke about it. It's a coping mechanism. Exactly. And you said that one is for the adults listening? I would say basically because it is a news show and there's some naughty words sometimes. Because <laughs> how else are you going to approach the news sometimes? Oh, God. So that's a that's an after the kiddos go to bed yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> that's understandable. All right, Katie. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Like I said, it's been a true delight, as it always is, to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will catch you later. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that you have come away from this episode with both a newfound appreciation for wasps and gratitude that you aren't one. If you liked what you heard today, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a good review like our friend MJ Bailey did on Podchaser. I hope we've earned all five stars from you. You can connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. You can send us an email. My email address is ellen at just the zoo of us .com if you have a cool animal that you want to hear us talk about on the show. We'd also like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones that you have heard promos for here today. You can check them out and learn more about the network over at MaximumFun.org. While you're there, consider signing up for membership to keep us going along with the rest of the shows on the network. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible theme music. And that is all for today. See y'all next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.